dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we remain obedient under difficulties? How do we remain obedient when our flesh pressures us to disobey? How do we cling to Christ when the devil and the world burden us with social pressures and persecutions? The answer is simple, although impossible to perform in our own strength. The answer is that we look to Christ, our great high priest, and we receive from him the strength that we need to remain firm in our profession of faith. We easily forget, unfortunately, we easily forget this simple answer, which is why scripture reminds us of it repeatedly. We are not, however, the only ones in need of such a reminder. The Hebrew, the Hebrew Christians, too, needed such a reminder. Who were the Hebrew Christians? They were the first recipients of the, of the epistle to the Hebrews. Most of them were of Jewish background. They had left Judaism to embrace Christ. And as a result, they faced social pressure, persecutions, and temptations from their social circles. And because of those pressures, life had become hard for many of them. Consequently, they were tempted to return to Judaism in order to fit in. Having compassion on them, the Holy Spirit gave them the epistle to the Hebrews to remind them that Jesus is better than all that Judaism can offer. The Holy Spirit reminds them that Jesus is the ultimate temple. Jesus is the ultimate priest. Jesus provides an eternal Sabbath rest and an eternal city. Jesus has performed the once-for-all sacrifice for the forgiveness of all our sins. Yet, at the same time, that the Holy Spirit exhorts them to remember Christ's greatness. He reminds them of the dangers of disobedience. He reminds them that their ancestors, our ancestors in the wilderness, turned away from God when life became tough. And as a result, they died in the wilderness, failing to enter the promised land, failing to receive God's promises. The Holy Spirit is saying to the Hebrew Christians, it is true. Life as a Christian is tough, but it is not an excuse to be faithless and disobedient like your ancestors in the wilderness. Do not return to Judaism, but look to Christ who is far better than Judaism. Look to Christ, who is greater than Moses, greater than Aaron. He will keep you obedient. 
Even though Christ is greater than Moses and Aaron, he walked in your shoes. Thus, you can be comforted and assured that he, and assured that he, he will understand your weaknesses and deliver you. Therefore, people of God, it is my privilege this afternoon to preach for our edification the exhortation that the Holy Spirit gave to the Hebrews, to the Hebrew Christians. The exhortation that we find in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. The theme summarizing the sermon is, look to Christ to find grace and help in time of need. Look to Christ to find grace and help in time of need. Under this theme, we will see two points. First, Christ is our heavenly great high priest. And second, Christ sympathizes with our earthly weaknesses. Christ is our heavenly great high priest. Christ sympathizes with our earthly weaknesses. Our first point, Christ is our heavenly great high priest. Why does our text start with the sins? Because the Holy Spirit builds on the concept of Christ's priesthood that he mentioned in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. There, scripture presented Christ as our representative, our merciful and faithful high priest. Then in chapter 3, scripture showed that our representative and faithful high priest is also greater than Moses. Rebellion against the word of God through Moses incurred, incurs death in the wilderness. Therefore, rebellion against Christ, the one greater than Moses, will bring even more devastating consequences. But this warning is only one side of the coin. Because with greater warning also comes greater comfort, as we shall see. Rebellion against Christ brings greater punishment because Christ, as a greater mediator and high priest, offers greater comfort and greater strength, as the rest of our verse, of the verse, teaches us. There we read, since then we have such a high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. In this first part of verse 14, the Holy Spirit reminds us of three facts, three facts concerning Christ. What are those? First, Christ is the great high priest. Second, he has passed through the heavens. And third, Christ is the Son of God. What does the text mean by great high priest? To understand, let us remember the high priests of the Old Testament. The high priest was the highest religious authority in the Old Testament. He was the chief 
priest, superior to all the other priests, the only one who once per year on the Day of Atonement could enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of sacrifices for the people's sake, as chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews tells us. Why was such a sprinkling necessary? Because without such a sprinkling, the temple and its utensils would not have been consecrated to God. And without that consecration, the people could not use the means of grace that the temple and the sacrificial system were for them. However, despite their greatness and importance, the successive high priests were only a shadow a type pointing to the ultimate high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Christ is not, on, is not only greater than Aaron and his descendants, but he is also greater than Moses, the one who instituted the priesthood. And that's why our text does not simply call Jesus a high priest, but the great high priest. Priest. The Aaronic high priests had an earthly ministry. They had to pass through the three sections of the temple, of the earthly temple, the courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. But Jesus, the ultimate, eternal, great high priest, ministers in heaven. And that's what the expression has passed through the heavens, reminds us of. Jesus entered the holiest place in the heavenly temple. He entered the throne room of God. And there, he accomplished the purification of the heavenly temple. As chapter 9 says, Jesus entered the heavenly holy of holies and purified it, not with the blood of animals, but with his own blood. In doing so, he once for all reconciled us to God and permanently opened for us direct access to God. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed to this ultimate, perfect sacrifices, sacrifice place of Jesus. And this sacrifice of Jesus is perfect and does not need to be repeated yearly like the, the ironic sacrifices of the Day of Atonement. After having said that Christ is the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Scripture says that Jesus is the Son of God. In doing so, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the, equality, of the equality of Christ with the Father. That was mentioned in chapter 1. He also reminds us of Jesus' supreme status in God's household mentioned in chapter 3. Jesus is the eternal, natural Son of God. Which is why his faithfulness is superior to Moses' faithfulness and Aaron's faithfulness. In summary, we have seen three facts that verse, four, that verse 14 reminds us of. First, Jesus is the heavenly high priest, great high priest. 
Second, he has performed the ultimate sacrifice for the salvation of God's people in the heavenly temple. And third, he is the eternal, natural son of God, and therefore the ruler of God's household. These three facts shows, show us that Jesus has supreme authority in heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God, far above all principalities and dominion. Now, what should be our response to the knowledge of Christ's supreme exaltation? Our response should be greater faithfulness and firmness in our allegiance to Christ. And that's what the second part of verse 14 exhorts us to do, saying, let us hold fast to our confession. The verse says, since Jesus, our heavenly great high priest, our representative is exalted far above the heaven, let us be spurred on, encouraged, and motivated to cling to him with all our spiritual might, to cling to our allegiance to Christ, even when life is hard. No matter the pressures, of the, pressures the persecutions, and material loss that we may endure, no matter the sacrifices of obedience that we may have to make, let us remember, people of God, that we are in the winning team. The team of the heir of the world, the one who defeated sin, death, and the devil at the cross. The one who upholds the entire universe by his hand of power. The one who, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The Holy Spirit gave this exhortation to the Hebrew Christians, and he addresses us today with the same exhortation. To be a Christian is difficult. The Bible even calls the path of faithfulness the narrow way, as we heard this morning. Even in an ideal Christian environment, the evil inclinations of our flesh, of our heart, make obedience difficult. How much more difficult is it when we are in a hostile environment, under great pressure, be it financial or emotional, when we face great uncertainties concerning our future? Just like the Hebrew, just like the Israelites were tempted to return to Egypt, or the Hebrew Christians were tempted to return to Judaism, we are also tempted to become disobedient, to seek a resolution of our problems outside of Christ. But yielding to those temptations will bring us back into bondage, to sin and idolatry, and bring on us, instead of God's grace, God's disciplining wrath. Instead of yielding to sin, let us remember that our Savior and representative, the Lord Jesus Christ, is supreme. When our flesh entices us, let us remember that Christ is supreme. 
when the community around us becomes hostile to us because of our faith, let us remember that Christ is supreme. When we are uncertain about our future because life is difficult, let us remember, people of God, that Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme, people of God. He is our great high priest, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the King of kings, the one to whom we look to hold fast to our confession. One may now ask, in practice, how do we remember Christ wholeheartedly? How do we hold fast to our confession? And the answer is, the Spirit-empowered use of the means of grace. Since our text speaks about the priesthood of Christ, one of the means that is fitting to emphasize here is prayer. Let us pray to Christ and call on Him for help in every activity and situation. And we will discover more and more that Christ delights in helping those whose hope is set on Him. To increase, to fuel our ability to pray regularly, let us listen regularly to the Word of Christ. That is, let us be regularly, continually in the Word and let us intentionally use the other means of grace. People of God, Prayer is not easy. It is difficult, like anything that is good in life. But prayer is vital for us as children of God. It is our breath of life. Therefore, let us pray that God, by His Holy Spirit, may grant us the discipline that we need in order to pray regularly. Let us Ask God to incline our hearts that we may delight more and more in the things of His kingdom. And that in, in, in that way, we will experience fellowship with Him when we go to Him in prayer. And we delight more and more in praying. And it will become easier, less difficult that, that, uh, than it can be when we are not disciplined and when we are not going to Him regularly. So far, we have seen that the Holy Spirit exhorts the Hebrew Christians and us to remain firm in our allegiance to Christ, despite the pull to disobedience, despite the difficulties inherent to the Christian life. We saw that steadfastness in our allegiance is the appropriate response when we remember that Christ, our representative, has supreme authority in heaven when we remember that he has entered the Holy of Holies, thereby reconciling us to God and opening a permanent, direct access to God for us. Now one may ask, are there other reasons to hold to our allegiance? Or, Christ is so exalted, how can he understand someone like me? And still another might ask, are you sure that Christ will accept to strengthen a sinner like me? Don't you think that he will send me to the gallows instead? 
and we will answer then these questions, these questions in our second point. Christ sympathizes with our earthly weaknesses. Verse 15 starts with a four, indicating that what follows justifies the exhortation of verse 14. One might be afraid to maintain one's allegiance to Christ because Christ is supreme. After all, one might easily doubt that such a lofty heavenly prince could understand earthly wretched sinners like us. Thus, in compassion, the Holy Spirit gives further justifications and explanation. The explanation is, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us unpack this explanation. The first thing we notice is the double negative. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Why not say we have a high priest who can sympathize? Because scripture makes sure that we notice the fact that Jesus sympathizes. Scripture emphasizes this ability of Jesus to sympathize. Imagine a spouse who wants to say, I love you. Which one would be more powerful, more emphatic, to say, I love you, or to say, I cannot not love you? The second one, I cannot not love you, is more powerful, more emphatic, because it means I love you beyond understanding. I am unable to stop loving you. Similarly, Scripture tells us Jesus understands us beyond what we can imagine. Jesus did and endured so much for us when we were still his enemies, as Romans 5 tells us. How much more than will Jesus do now that we are united to him, now that he is our head, our representative, our great high priest? Jesus understands our sufferings, our temptations, and our heartaches, and he has compassion for us. Jesus is not an emotionless representative seated in a lofty ivory tower in heaven. No, Jesus knows how enduring temptations can be hard for us. He knows even more than us what it is to live in a fallen world, to have one's soul tormented, torn apart because one endures the brunt of the attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. How does Jesus know? Jesus knows in two ways. First, because he is God, Jesus knows everything exhaustively, in every detail. And second, Jesus knows it experientially. For our sake, as we sang also in him too, Jesus 
became a man and lived on earth for about 33 years. Those 33 years were hard. No one has endured from sinners as great hostility as Jesus has. Imagine how hard life could have been for Jesus. A sinless person under the constant, the constant attacks of the devil and of the world. The devil often tempted him to achieve glory without suffering, to betray his allegiance to the Father and the Spirit by avoiding the cross. The devil threw at him all kinds of temptations, temptations to lust, to be greedy, selfish, hateful, dishonest, rebellious, and so on. And that's why scripture says that he was tempted in every respect as we are. Fortunately, unlike us who yield, Jesus bore the weight of those temptations to disobedience without ever yielding. Amid temptation, Jesus never delighted even for a second to what sin and the devil were proposing to him. Jesus always sought to do the Father's will. He always sought to remain obedient. One might ask, how was that possible? It was possible because Jesus had no indwelling sin. He was born with a human nature which could be tempted, but that nature was sinless. Even though his human nature could be tempted, the power of his divine nature enabled him to bear the full weight of those temptations without ever yielding. In this way, Jesus experienced the stress and torture of temptations beyond all that we could ever experience. To increase our understanding, we can think, for example, about two people fasting. One cheats and breaks the fast from time to time whenever he feels hungry. Another one remains in the fast for many days until the end. Who will have, who of the, which one of the two will have a better understanding of the torments of hunger? The one who cheated or the one who endured to the end? Of course, the one who endured to the end. Likewise, Jesus knows more than us about the power of temptations. The devil and the world exhausted the power on him. For us, they did not have to do so. When the burden of temptations become too heavy, we yield to those temptations. And that's why Hebrews 12, in Hebrews 12, the Holy Spirit says to the Hebrew Christians, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted until blood. You have not yet resisted until the point of shedding your blood. But Jesus remained obedient. He resisted beyond blood. He resisted until death to save us. His people. Let us think about his torments and agonies and realize that his sinlessness does not make him unable to understand us. 
on the contrary, yes, on the contrary, it's his sinlessness makes him super competent and super able to understand us. In his deep sympathy for us, Jesus is determined to rescue us. And that's also why he drank the cup of God's wrath, as Galatians 3 says. He drank the cup of God's wrath that we deserve so that we might receive God's blessings. And that's why he opened the way to the mercy seat for us. And now through Christ, all of us, yes, all of us can go to the mercy seat without fear of being destroyed. Now that we know that Christ, our representative, has opened the way to the Holy of Holies for us, and that we can approach him there without being destroyed because Jesus loves us and sympathizes with us, what should be our response? Verse 16 tells us what our response must be. We must approach the throne of grace with confidence, without panic, fear, or trembling, but with assurance and positive expectations. We must follow the path that Jesus has opened for us and come to him in front of the mercy seat of the heavenly temple. In other words, we can, in full assurance, join Jesus in the throne room in heaven and make our petitions there. How do we do so? We do so in worship, in prayer, public as well as private. There, God, all the three persons of the Trinity are well disposed to receive us despite all our sins. They will not send us to the gallows, but purify and strengthen us to persevere in faith. And this strengthening is what the last part of our verse speaks about in saying that we may find grace to help in time of need. Not only will we receive the strengthening that we need to maintain our allegiance, but that strengthening will never be too late. It will always be at the appropriate time, whenever we need it. And that is all the time. We indeed, we indeed need strengthening, especially um, when we feel the pressures of temptations. But we need it all the time to avoid temptations. We need it all the time to remain obedient. What does this mean? It means that when life becomes difficult, when despair kicks in, when financial troubles occur, when calamity strikes, or when walking in disobedience seems the easiest path for success and good life, when disobeying God seems more attractive than it has ever been before, the door to the throne room in heaven is always open. Jesus is there interceding for us. The Holy Spirit loves us. He helps us to pray and increases our endurance. The Father is well disposed to make all circumstances work together for our salvation. 
We can address all our prayers and supplications and receive the power to walk in obedience and to confess privately and publicly that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does this imply? It implies many things. And one of the things it implies is that we should not wait to feel the pressure of temptation before going to God in prayer, before becoming consistent in using the means of grace. If we do so, we will notice that our desire to draw closer to God diminishes whenever temptations come. No, we should be continuously preparing, continuously going to the throne room, to the Holy of Holies. In this way, it will be easier for us to approach God, and we will and we will be prepared against temptations. Which soldier waits for the day of battle to start preparing? Which athletes wait for the day of competition to start practicing? And which students wait for the exam day to start reviewing? Likewise, let us regularly go to the throne room that Christ has opened for us. When we see that our desire to pray and to hear God's word decreases, let us not wait for the battle to intensify. Let us immediately go to Christ in the throne room and he will strengthen us. Conclusion. Let us now summarize all that we have heard from this passage. This passage is an exhortation that the Holy Spirit gave to the Hebrew Christians. He was saying to them, true, you are facing hardship. But do not be disobedient like your ancestors in the wilderness. Because Christ is supreme, disobedience can have devastating consequences. Yet the supreme Christ is also your sympathetic great high priest. Therefore, look to him. He understands your sufferings. He has opened the way for you to approach without fear the heavenly mercy seat, the heavenly throne of God, and receive there all the help you need to persevere in obedience. Today, the Holy Spirit gives us, to us assembled here, the same exhortation. As we face the torments of our flesh, the devil's, the devil's temptations, and the hardship and uncertainty of life, we must not be disobedient. Instead, by the power of the Spirit, we must constantly turn to Christ, our supreme and loving and understanding great high priest. He walked in our shoes. He has opened the way to the throne room of God of heaven for us. And there we will find from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all the resources that we need to remain faithful, even in hardship. Amen.
in response to the hearing, the proclamation of God's word, we are going now to sing together Psalm 9, stanzas 9 and 10. No, please, Psalm, yes, Psalm 9, stanzas 9 and 10. <laughs> 